are listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle and Katie Minichi. Hi, everyone. This is The Music Room with Aileen Miracle and Katie Minichi. Thank you so much for joining us again today for our 10th episode. Um, today, we are going to be talking about curriculum accountability, which is kind of a mouthful, huh? It is. <laughs> but it's something that I feel like probably both of us have been thinking more about because of uh, the class that we took last year. Yeah. Do you feel like kind of when it started for you? It really has changed the way that I look about things. It certainly informs my organization now. Yeah. So just a little background about this class. So I guess, was it maybe two years ago we went to standards-based grading? Officially, yes. Yes. Okay. So um, before we did standards-based grading, we were just using like one music grade and then like an effort and participation grade that would encompass everything for music. So E was exceeding expectations, M was meeting expectations, P was progressing toward expectations, and N was needs improvement. Um, But as far as like the music part of the grade, not including behavior and participation, it was just one grade. Um, So we went to standards-based grading where we have like clusters of or strands so mm-hmm. Katie, let me know if I forget anything, but we have sure. things slash writing, performing, classifying, creating, and responding. Did Correct. I get them all? Yeah. Okay. So we have these five strands now, and um, we don't have to give a grade for every single strand for every single marking period, but at some point we have to grade, you know, all of the strands at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, And then last year, Katie and I took this class that was just for our, you know, our elementary music teachers in our district um, who were interested. And it was um, called PLD or performance level descriptors. And the idea of a performance level descriptor is that it helped us figure out like for each strand, what does a four look like at the end of the year? What does a three look like? Kind of like a rubric, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So, because before that, we were just honestly kind of, you know, eyeballing it. We didn't have anything that said, like, this is what a four would look like. This is what a three would look like. So that's what we did last year is we, for every single strand, we did PLDs, which was super helpful. But I think it also, like, made me realize what I was covering really well and what maybe there were some gaps. (laughs) For sure. Me too. Yeah. So I really, I don't know, I feel like I've been keeping better track of where I'm at with the curriculum, not just like long range planning before the school year, but kind of keeping track during the school year too. I agree for sure. Okay, cool. So we are, we have a few things that we're going to talk about within this topic. And the first is just choosing a starting point. Yeah. Do you want me to talk about that for a second? Yeah, sure. I'd happily do so. Um, (laughs) You know, one thing that that really stuck out to me as we developed through, we started in a phase called blueprinting, which allowed us to sort of pull the standards that we felt strongest about as a district. And we used the state standards as a model, sort of a jumping point. So our state standards were then funneled into our district standards. And then those district standards then were sort of pared down into what we called power standards. Mm -hmm. So we sort of made decisions about what was most important. Because even though it's important to, say, introduce the instrument families in third and fourth grade, it's probably more important that students 
are able to perform the pentatonic scale. And so we were able to sort of identify those non-negotiables, would you say? Right. Yeah. So it's not that instrument families are not important. Correct. Yeah. What what was the most important? And then, you know, kind of go from there. I'd say one thing that was really helpful in this discussion too, sort of in the how and the why, was that we redistrict a lot. So we wanted to make sure that there was a little bit of safety for our students as they went from one building to the next, that their experience would be similar. So one of the ways that my thinking was changed was that we were able to take a look at the things that we wanted every kid to experience. So rather than thinking about it as something that I had to cover, it was more so something that I needed to make sure was introduced within that school year. And so thinking of it more as experience rather than coverage took some of the ownership off of us, I think. Yeah. And like Katie was saying, we use um, the Ohio State Music Standards for our curriculum. But this, you know, when you choose a starting point for your curriculum, it just it depends on the district you're in. So in some districts, you might not actually have a district curriculum um, and you can kind of create your own curriculum depending on your philosophy. You know, maybe if you have quota training or ORF training, you kind of decide from there what's most important for every grade level. So whether or not you're looking at, you know, your state music standards or maybe you have district standards or you're looking at like the NCASS, like the National Core Art Standards, whatever you're looking at, you just kind of have to figure out what your um, starting point is. Yeah, I definitely had to switch that around because... I was assessing based off of the state and and district standards before, which are in three segments. They're in creating, performing, and responding. Mm -hmm. And when we switched to standards-based, that first semester or so, I really struggled with how to divide things up. So I found, for me personally, it just made more sense to realign what I was doing so that it was set up by the way the grade card would look. So now I assess things based off of where I'm going to put it, which strand it goes in. And that right. streamlines things so much. Yeah. Really and, you know, sometimes you'll have an assessment that does actually fall into different strands, and that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I find just really looking at, you know, the standards and, the power standards and also at our performance level descriptors, it, it is definitely really helpful. It is something I reference a lot. Yes. And usually it's... makes me feel better. Yeah. Like, oh, look at thing <laughs> I did. Right? Although I just shared with Katie before we went live that I realized as I was looking at my checklist, which I'll talk about in a little bit here. Ooh, I have, you know, I have some catch up to do here. Um, Because you have programs, performances, and, you know, snow days and whatever. So, uh, yeah, just having, like, some kind of checklist is definitely helpful. But we'll talk Mm -hmm. more more specifically about that in a little bit. I guess the next question is, what exactly does it mean to be accountable for your curriculum? And I have three points here. I think being accountable to yourself, like, just knowing, being honest with yourself, Mm -hmm. what what do I want the students to know at the end of this year and where am I at with it? Are they moving a little bit slower? Are they moving faster? You know, that kind of thing, like really just being honest with yourself um, about where your students are at. Mm -hmm. 
think sometimes you also have to be accountable to your administrator. I mean, you do have to think about that. I mean, I, I feel like as music teachers, sometimes we do get a little bit of, I don't know if anonymity is the right word, but I think because administrators often don't really get music curriculum, I feel like there is more trust or it's a little bit more hands off with administrators because, you know, I think trust might be too positive a word. I think sometimes they acquiesce. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I think with some administrators, there's going to be trust because they do trust you and other administrators that just like maybe lack of understanding of what the music curriculum is about, especially if, you know, they've never been in music at all. You know, like I, on my lesson plans, I have check boxes that have all of my indicators um, Mm -hmm. for like the state of Ohio music curriculum. And that really is a way for me to be accountable to myself. Now, when I hand it to my administrator, when I'm being observed, it looks good. You know, I'm not going to lie like that. I mean, I'm excited to show them like, hey, look at all these things that I covered in today's lesson. And it's kind of like a way to educate them, you know, absolutely as far as everything you're doing. But a lot of administrators you know, maybe just don't understand music curriculum. But sure, if yeah. you are accountable, and you're showing them what you can do, then I think it's a good like advocacy tool. Yeah, I totally agree. I've maybe beyond what they actually wanted to know, I've taken the time to go through it with my administrator, because I don't really get to see them very often. And they are inundated with the language of the rest of the students day, but they don't really know our language. So Sometimes even when they don't ask, I tell them because I'm excited to share it. And I did. I have similar boxes. I've always had boxes, you know, that I can kind of check for things that are just observable. Mm -hmm. But uh, I did align ours to the PLDs, which I think has been really helpful. So all of my boxes are aligned to the level four descriptor. Oh, I would love to see that. And actually happily share it. Yeah, Katie and I just talked about this um, before we started recording. We can, in um, the podcast notes, which you will find if you go to MrsMiraclesMusicRoom.com and then click on podcast and then go to episode 10, we're going to put a few things on that page for you for you to download. So Katie can put her, the boxes or the template or whatever. Does that work? Yeah, absolutely. And I can also have, I can put a lesson plan template there as well, which mine um, I have like boxes for the National Core Art Standards mm-hmm. that you can, you know, check. Just so you can have a few different templates of, you know, just ways that you can kind of show your administrator sure. that you're being accountable to them and to yourself. You and know, then I the think, third. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go, no, it's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, one of the other things I really like about it being on my lesson plan is that I can go back and reflect on practice because I think sometimes the practice phase of student learning gets cut short to get on to the next mm-hmm. piece of content. And so yeah. having that checklist and then even just having that visual of flipping through my lesson plans, I can go, oh my goodness, I haven't done a writing activity in four weeks. Right. <laughs> you know, I have hit it, but I need to hit it again. Right. Yeah, or like on my lesson plan template, I have an assessment box on the bottom where I can put in if, you know, if I'm doing an assessment. And that's been interesting sometimes as I look through my lessons, I'm like, oh, I've not assessed in a while. And there is this or this or this that I need to assess. So it's just to keep yourself on track. 
And then I think the last point as far as being accountable and what it means is being accountable to any colleagues that you're working with, like other music teachers. Mm-hmm. So in our last podcast episode, if you haven't heard that yet, we talked about the struggles and successes of being a traveling music teacher. And I think this point speaks well to if you're a traveler or you work with another music teacher, you know, how you can be accountable with them as far as what you've taught. Sure. I agree. I I also align mine to the school that I'm in as well. So oh, yeah. I have those PLDs, but then I also have a box that allows me to keep track of the school that I'm in because I'm in three buildings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think too, like, and I, I think we talked about this in the last podcast episode, but, you know, sometimes you might have, you might be working with someone who maybe has a quicker pace than you do, or they have a slower pace, mm-hmm. or these things, these concepts are really important to them, whereas, you know, other concepts are really important for you to teach students. So being it, like kind of doing that balancing act of figuring out, you know, what are their strengths? What do they do really well? What's important to them? What kind of pace they keep? I think kind of keeping that in mind is helpful, too. Sure. I know I haven't experienced this this drastically but or this clear cut, but I know that some traveler and lead teacher relationships have worked in that they divide up some of the strands. So right. if you did that, you could initial which ones you're responsible for and which ones your co-teacher is responsible for. And that can be a good way of just reminding yourself, not that you can't teach those things, but that you don't have to be accountable for assessing them. Right. Yep. My um, traveler, Emily, she's actually my former student teacher. We just talked about sitting down next week because we have two performances on Thursday for third and fourth grade. So we said, well, after the programs are done, then we can sit down and look at where we are with the third and fourth grade assessments. And it's so funny because as passionate as I am about assessment, she is like a rock star when it comes to getting assessments done. Oh, that's great. <laughs> So she's always got like tons of assessments loaded into the grade book. And I'm just like laughing to myself because like I said, she's my former student teacher. And I was I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's like she's doing great with that. She's got tons (laughs) of them in there. But yeah, just, you know, sitting down and having a conversation with that teacher and, you know, talking about, you know, like you said, what what are the strengths of that teacher? What does that teacher find really important? And just making sure that, that, you know, you're covering everything between the two of you. Or in some cases, if you have more than one traveling, I've, I've been at some schools where there were like four music teachers <laughs> at one school. So whatever that situation might be, trying to have, even if you can't have a whole lot of in-person conversations, because sometimes you might not have a whole lot of planning time with that person, but you know, doing a Google Doc or email or whatever. Sure. Right now I'm working with one of our colleagues at, at another school and we're doing our recorder unit and we've been trying belts this time Uh around. And I've never actually done them and I've really enjoyed them. And they're great Uh for accountability. Right. And uh, the kids are really enjoying it. So when I finish fourth grade, I just screenshot on my phone, my attendance list that has who received which belt. And I Uh just text it to her because we don't always get to talk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or text. Right. Email or text. I do so many screenshots. I'm telling you. Yeah. Screenshots are good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we talked about like who you can be accountable to. But the next point is why, 
why would you want to be accountable? Now, obviously, like, you know, the first answer that might come to mind is because my principal tells me I need to be. <laughs> but it, besides that, besides, you know, obviously, you know, you have to have data to give to your principal, your administrator. But I think, you know, like Katie and I talked a little bit about with these performance level descriptors, I feel like it has really helped me to make sure that I'm teaching as much as I'm supposed to and as deep as I should. Correct. So it's really just helped keep me on track. And, and like I said, kind of helped me fill in those holes. And I know, I I just think that honesty in teaching is so important. You know, like, I just think it's good for us to reflect um, as teachers, not just about how great things went, but how some things didn't go as planned or, you know, even though I've been teaching 19 years and right. I do workshops about assessment, I'm still like constantly looking at or, you know, looking at my plans going, oh, wait, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. Like, I just think it's really important to be honest and reflective as a teacher um, mm-hmm. to really prove yourself as a teacher. And I, I, I agree. just evaluate your own teaching. You well, know? I also just think our kids deserve it because yeah. if we are accountable, that's when we can pass the baton to them. If we yeah. if we aren't holding them to a high standard and planning out how those goals will be met, mm-hmm. then our students aren't able to reach independence. Right. So, you know, I just think it's fun. Usually around this third quarter time of year, we're in you know, mid-February now, mid to end of February when we're recording this. And this is the time of year where I've had my students long enough that I can put music on the board that's at their level or even challenges them to be slightly beyond their level and ask them to read it. And especially at third or fourth grade, when they're starting to read maybe even more than one part or in a round, uh, advanced rhythms. Mm -hmm. I think that that is really energizing for the kids. So when they reach that level of independence, I think that also sells for them. Oh, this is why we've been doing what we've been doing. Yeah. And it's really exciting as a teacher when you can put something like that on the board and have them read it or have them, you know, perform something in several different parts and they're successful. Like it's it's why we do what we do, right? I'm excited (laughs) when they don't need me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then we talked a little bit about this already, but as far as keeping track of, you know, where you're at. So I like to sit down in like July and really look at all of the year plans that I need for the following year, which classroom teachers would call scope and sequence. Um, It's pretty much the same thing. But on a year plan, I have things like what are my goals what rhythms do I want to teach them? What solfa do I want to teach them? What are my goals for part work? What are my goals for listening? What are my goals for movement? You know, mm-hmm. all that. And it is really helpful for me to have all that information so that I can keep track of that and really, you know, keep myself accountable. And if you're looking for a tutorial about how I write my year plans, I will link to one in the show notes. I have a YouTube video about creating a year plan and kind of what my process is. And I will link to that in the show notes if you're interested. I definitely find having that year plan really helpful as I plan out my, and it's, I refer to it like at, you know, during 
my lesson planning process each week, I can look at my year plan and see where we're at and where we need to be. And a lot of times I do get behind, but at least I have a plan, you know? Yeah. I think it's important to add to that year plan. From my perspective as a Kodai teacher, or at least a Kodai inspired teacher, Mm -hmm. I mostly want to cover the same ground each year. So for me, one of the year plan goals for me is to also anticipate times that I'm going to deviate from that structure. So times that I know there will be interruptions in the year, times that I know I'll be getting ready for the sing-along or a performance, or it's a testing week and I might not want to present a new idea or burn out. Sorry, not last year, last week or two weeks ago, 200 of our students were out with the flu, as was my student teacher presented Ticket Ticket with 10 students in the class, (laughs) which if if I'd known there were only going to be 10 students, I would have told her to wait, but I didn't know because I wasn't there, you know? So, um, so yeah, it's definitely good. Because you also had the flu. I did. I had the flu, so I couldn't tell her maybe we shouldn't present Ticket Ticket this week. (laughs) Poor thing. I know. Well, she won't forget. When she <laughs> when she presents it for the fourth week in a row, right? It will be a lesson beyond anything you could have told her, right? right. We learn by right. doing. Yep, exactly. And the kids um, will be okay. They will be okay. And actually, my principal just observed me the week after that happened, and I just went ahead and was practicing ticket ticket with them. And I did say to them, you know, while the, my principal was sitting in the room, now, boys and girls, I know that some of you were absent last week because a lot of you had the flu, as did I, but you might remember this rhythm that, you know, is four sounds on a beat that we were calling all in tangy. Now, what are we calling it? And there were enough students in the class. We're calling it ticket ticket. That's right. And it looks like this, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> kind of have to do a little review there, but. I mean, I would do that anyway, but enough students knew it that they did pretty well with it. So I was happy about that. But yeah. And also, I referred to this a little bit earlier in the podcast. When we had this performance level descriptor class, we put together, you know, kind of with each strand what we thought a four would look like and all the different assessments that we would want to do for that strand in order to know, mm-hmm. you know, if a kid is at a four or a three or whatever. So I then took that information and I put it into a Google Doc and I have a tab for every grade level. So we do kindergarten through fifth grade in the district. So like in the, you know, first grade tab, you click on that and then there's a reading table or reading writing table, performing table, and then you can see like the three or the five or whatever, however many assessments that we have for that strand. And then what I've been doing is um, we have like first, second, third, and fourth quarter, and I've just been writing the assessment in the appropriate box as I've been doing that assessment. So that that way, at the end of the year, I can look in the fourth quarter and make sure that everything has been covered. It is so great. It's been really I love that document. So we'd like to share that with you as well. So people who are listening right now, um, I will put a link to this in the show notes. But right now, if you're at your computer, if you go to bit.ly slash grading checklist, no space, grading checklist. So bit.ly slash grading checklist. It's a Google Doc, which you do have to make a copy of and add it to your drive. It's set to view only. Mm -hmm. But that way you can add it to your drive and then you can edit 
edit it however you want. It's just we thought it might be helpful to have that as like a jumping off point so you could Mm -hmm. see what are all the different things that we are assessing in our district and then you can adapt it however you want. You know, I I would I would add one more to that, especially if people use a power teacher. mm -hmm. If there are power teacher fans out there, what? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I unfortunately lost a lot of what I had saved over the last year because of an update that really improved a lot of things, but we lost some some good stuff along the way. Mm-hmm. One thing I've done to, to hold myself accountable, and it's similar to your checklist, but it sort of builds into your gradebook, especially if it's digital. Yes. Between my second and third year in the district, I took all the assessments that I used in the second year and added them at the beginning of the third year so that when I went and looked at each quarter, I would catch myself and go, oh, I didn't do that assessment that oh, I did last year. And yeah. it was a good way to catch myself and and reflect a little bit. And also it made me feel really good when I would go in to put yeah. in an assessment and it was already in there. And I was like, look at how fancy I am. I did this last yeah. year too, yeah. you know? So yeah, it was sort of like a way to praise myself when I was consistent and to just remind myself when I wasn't. Yeah. Yep. The my P, the PE teacher at my school had will do that like he'll front load at the beginning of the year. He goes into power teacher and he enters in all the assessments he plans on doing for the year. Yeah, if it works for Which, you, it's great. Yeah, and like when he does it, I'm like, "Oh my goodness, like I wish I had the time to sit down and do that." But I think if you had a list of the assessments you've done previously, it really would not take that much time. It would save you time because, yes. you know, it would help keep you on track. It was one of those things that made me really sad when we came in the fall and found out that yeah. we had lost all of it. <laughs> I didn't even think about Actually, I think I did think about that because Sean, the PE teacher at my school, said something to me about it. It was a bummer, yeah. but it's okay. We move yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> and it's I will okay. build back up to that point. Yes. And hopefully we have any huge changes with our grading system in the near future. (laughs) Well, we will. I'm sure we will. Oh, I'm sure we will. I'm I'm the instructional technology chair at my building and there's always some kind of change. And I keep going, okay, can we just not have a change for this year? And then there's a change, but that's okay. Right. Stop messing with us, okay? (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, you know, I think one thing to keep in mind, and and I know that you mentioned this in in our plan, not to feel bad when those things happen, not to have guilt when it happens, because I'm going to build back up to that. And I don't plan on putting all of it in at once. So right now I'm working a quarter ahead. So when I do, when I did the second quarter grades, I started putting in assessments for a third, the third grading period that right. I knew that I would get to right. so that some of it was still front loaded, but I wasn't overwhelming myself. Yeah. And I think um, I actually just did that today where I put in into the gradebook into Power Teacher, which I realize not everyone uses, but you know, whatever gradebook you're using, it could apply to the you. The equivalent. Yeah, the sure. equivalent. I um put the rest of the assessments that I want to do this marking period into the gradebook and just made sure those were there. And that was helpful because I realized, well, you know, last year was second grade. I did this assessment to see if they could figure out the difference between steps and skips. Oh, I need to make sure I do that in the next few lessons. You know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like it just really helps keep you on track. Yeah. And then our last point with 
you know, curriculum accountability is just to not feel guilty if your kids are not where you want them to be. I think this is, I think we kind of get into the mindset of, oh, my kids are behind, my kids are behind. I think that we are really fortunate as music teachers to, as we were talking about before, like your administrator likely doesn't understand music curriculum like you do. And we Mm -hmm. don't have the pressure on us of state standardized tests. Hopefully you don't. If we feel like the kids aren't getting Ticka Ticka, then we can spend more time on Ticka Ticka. You know, right. If we feel like they're struggling with, with Melody, with Ray or whatever, we can spend more time in the Do Pentatonic scale and really make sure that they have it. If we feel like they're not getting instruments of the orchestra like we thought they would, we can spend more time on it. With a great thing about that, if you have the same kids, like let's say you're, you know, if you're the only teacher kindergarten through fifth, then you're really just being accountable to yourself. And you can just remind yourself the following year, oh, hey, I didn't get to this or I didn't get to that. You know, and you know that now if you do traveler or you are the traveler and you're working with someone else, then you do have to let them know that. But I think music teachers are understanding like, you know, hey, they just weren't hearing T-Ticka like I wanted them to. So I really had to spend more time on it. You know, I've been fortunate to work with some teachers that have, you know, brought me into the fray. You know, I might think that they're ready to present and then they have done a final prep in a different way than I did and have caught something. And so it's so nice to have another person to bounce those ideas off of when you have the opportunity to to have a co-teacher. Because sometimes we look at things from a different lens and if we can catch those things by working together, then we can slow it down or we, you know, can move forward when we feel like the kids are ready rather than feeling like we have to rush through it. Right. And I think too, like, I feel like as a younger teacher, I often actually went too slow because I was just, I really like to stay in that preparation phase, you know, maybe sure, for a little bit. Safe for us too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I, maybe I wasn't exactly sure how to, how to move forward. So I think there's, I mean, there's something to be said for both. Sometimes we move, we move a little bit too slow. Sometimes we move a little bit too fast, but by staying accountable to yourself and really looking at where they're at, it's helpful to know, okay, now they're ready to move on, you know, but whatever the, whatever the situation is, whether you are worried that you're moving too fast or too slow or whatever, like to just know you're doing what's best for the, for your students. Sure. And even if you make a mistake, you care about your kids and it's okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. All right. So we are going to put, you know, those things on the web, on my website, on my blog, in the show notes. So if you go there again, if you go to Mrs. Miracles Music Room.com and you click on podcast and then episode 10, you'll find a few things in there to help you stay accountable. Is there anything else we didn't cover, Katie? feel like we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. And I know it's like not always a super interesting topic. Like maybe some <laughs> of you were like, wow, this is a really dry topic. Thanks a lot, Eileen and Katie. But <laughs> but she and I, like I, I, I think that I am speaking correctly if I say like you and I are really passionate about this kind of thing. <laughs> I really am. And I know yeah. you are too. Yeah. Oh, there was one more thing I was going to say. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think... It's really important to know yourself. So Mm -hmm. if you are accountable by writing things down, 
own that you write things down. Even if you're the tackiest person in your building, I still keep a desk calendar, for example. So I have learned that there are some things that are easier for me to keep track of on right on my seating chart. If it's something I'm just observing or if it's just that a student engaged in discussion, I just have a box for that next to their name on their seating chart. And then they don't even notice that I check that box because that's just something I need to observe versus something that needs to go officially in the grade book. And so knowing myself and knowing what materials I keep on hand and where I'm actually going to remember to write things down, I think is important. You know, don't force yourself to use a system that doesn't really work for you. Yeah, it's so interesting because I'm also, I love technology. And I was just reflecting the other day about how as much as I love technology and like as far as productivity goes, there are all these like great productivity tools like Evernote and Trello and mm-hmm. all sorts of things. But I bought an Erin Condren planner. Um, this is the second one I've owned. Do you use Erin Condren at all? Oh, I know. I know of it. And it's so beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. So and I actually don't have the teacher planner. I just have the life planner. But I'm relating this to teaching in that. I realized as I was writing things down on my planner, like if I have it written down and I can check it off, then I'm so much better at getting things done instead of relying on a really cool techie tool like Trello or Evernote. Like I just know that about myself, even though I love those tools because I love technology. Right. As far as what works for me and getting things done, the planner is it. So I I, still with all my checks and balances, I still have post-its on things. You know, I mean, it's just what works for me. And I think that that's okay. I still use technology and I love it and I'm not afraid to try new things, but there are certain ways that I am most accountable if I write it down. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. (laughs) All right. So let's go ahead and move into our um, ending section here, which is what we are listening to or what we're reading. Awesome. What What are are you consuming? book called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Have you ever read um, Eat, Pray, Pray, Love? Love. Yeah. That was, that book was just like transformative for me. The Eat, Pray, Love book was just so good. Awesome. So um, I heard about this book from Emily, my traveler, and Mm -hmm. um, I got it for like my birthday or Christmas or something. And so the full title is Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. And I'm maybe only like a third of the way through so far, but it is so good. Like if you are listening right now and you're a really creative person, like if creativity feeds your soul, then you should read this book because it's just like it's she goes into a lot of different things. But like one thing that I found really interesting was just like where creativity comes from Mm. and how ideas can kind of like float from one person to the next. And an idea can be almost like a living, breathing thing. It's really interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah, I'll link to it in the show notes as well. So what oh, are you cool. lis- what are you listening to or reading? Well, okay. I have to say I'm I'm always reading things, but this week the thing that has spoken most to me is the new season of Queer Eye 
Uh huh. I just saw these guys. I haven't watched the show yet, but I just saw them like on the t- the Today Show or something. Or no, I know it was some talk show. Yeah, and I was like, I should check that out. Now, when it was on Bravo, however many years ago, I didn't watch it for whatever reason. I think I just didn't have cable at that time or something. Yeah. Um, so it was not really on my radar. And my husband, who edits this podcast, thank you, Tim. Yes, thank you, <laughs> right? Yay. He actually said, Katie, you need to watch this. And I said, okay, sure. Uh, that's uh-huh. surprising to me that you're recommending this to me. And we sat down and it is so fun, but they also have really intentionally chosen people that will juxtapose who they are. And that mm-hmm. intentional choice has really spoken to me recently. There are some episodes in particular, if you get a chance to watch it, we should discuss it, that yeah. I'm sure they planned out intentionally, you know, having okay. having a white Southern cop made over by a black gay man, you know? Yeah. But, but putting them in those situations and having such a positive, energetic, life-giving result is just what the world needs. I feel like everyone should be watching it and how similar we are and yep, just all the good things. That sounds amazing. It really has been. I've enjoyed it. Now I also drink wine while I watch it and typically eat chocolate. So (laughs) I mean, there are a lot of factors, but I'm really loving Uh, it. Well, thank you so much for listening today. Um, Make sure to check out the show notes. And also if you haven't gotten a chance to yet, Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a review so that other music teachers can find the podcast. So thanks, Katie. Thanks, Aileen. All right. Bye. Bye.